Hi, my name is David Kleis and these are the Mac Life Talks. As usual, I have to remind everybody that uh, the opinions in this show are my personal opinions and in no way reflect the opinions of Sitwer BVBA or uh, any other project that uh, I'm currently a part of. Hi, welcome back to Mac Life Talks. I'm your host, Steve Kleis, and last time I talked about my accident and what happened, how I became disabled. I think I left a story where they were starting surgery on me, emergency surgery, after I was brought into the Royal North Shore Hospital. While they were working to connect my head back to my body, my mom and one of my sisters booked their f- the first flight they could find to Sydney to be at my side when I woke up after surgery. I woke up and the first thing I saw were my mom and my sister besides me. They were crying. They didn't know what happened and they had a million questions. As did I. I realized that I was hooked up to a monitor, you know, the ones you see in movies, that I have IV catheters and I had tubes going down my nose. I kind of panicked and I wanted to turn to my mom to ask her a question, but I couldn't. The only thing that moved were my eyes. Suddenly, I realized I wasn't able to move a finger and I had trouble breathing. Later on, doctors came to explain what happened, to explain what they did. The surgeons came by and slowly but certainly we got answers to our questions. The doctors told us, I broke my neck vertebrae C5 and C6 and they tried to fix it but there would be permanent damage this meant that I would be a quadriplegic for life I would be paralyzed from the chest down and partly in my arms and hands too it'd be a tough recovery a long road ahead but I had to take it one step at a time So what went through my mind back then? I felt every emotion, you know, sorrow and grief, rage, and even happiness, you know. I was happy that I was still alive. One of the hardest things was not being able to do anything, you know, because I was paralyzed. Especially in the beginning, I wasn't able to move anything. You know, that only improved through rehab. And so everything had to be done for me even washing or going to the toilet. This posed a really, really big challenge for me mentally. And so what I did back then was I decided that 
I would give my body to the nurses and to the medical professionals who were trying to help me. The body was theirs and I had to do and endure anything and everything they told me I needed. So my recovery would be fast and as, you know, good as possible. By applying this kind of mind trick of giving away my body, I was able, you know, to keep a sane mind. But did that mean that, you know, I, I didn't cry and I, I wasn't scared? Of course not. You know, there's just something so profound in losing the ability to control your own body and everything that comes with that. Because, you know, we have a future in mind that you just have to let go and you know it's hard and you have pain and it's difficult and all that stuff so one of the things i also did was i immediately asked to be guided or for guidance by a counselor or a, a psychologist because i knew that i would face you know really really hard times uh, and this was one of the best things that i ever did um, because it, they helped me in such a big way um, looking back, I actually think that the mental uh, rehab you have to do is way or um, greatly outweighs the physical rehab you need to do. And so getting guidance there, that really, you know, that really helped me. So I talked about the mental issues, but you know, what actually happens when, uh, or, or what happened after my accident with my body in the first couple of months was, first of all, your body kind of shuts down and it reboots, which means that your immune system is compromised uh, and you get sick a lot, for example. Then you have these operations and, you know, um, they need to, the, the, the medical staff needs to log your progress and stuff like that. So there were a lot of x-rays and, and scans done and that sort of stuff. Um, and then they start, you know, putting you on different medications for the pain. You have this physical pain, but you also have um, this neurological pain, which isn't the same. And, and you need different painkillers, stronger painkillers. I was really foggy at times due to my medication, uh, even lifeless. Um, but after a, a, a while, um, I was finally allowed to start doing some physiotherapy and some ergotherapy, uh, sorry, um, occupational therapy. Um, and uh, that really gives a boost, you know, because what you get is after a couple of months uh, or a couple of weeks or a couple of days, some things start to come back, like moving a finger, moving your head, uh, being able to swallow better, stuff like that came back. And especially when you're able to work and you have your physiotherapy, for example, you have the feeling that you're doing something. And Every time you get something back or something uh, works or, or you know, you, you achieve this little milestone 
um, it, it gets celebrated and it gives you a lot of courage to go on. Um, and one of the things that really stood out to me was you would think that, you know, the place where in rehab, for example, or, or in a hospital, uh, that's a place where, you know, there's all this tragedy combined, all these people with all these different tragedies that, you know, left them paralyzed. And um, you would think that everybody would be demoralized and sad and it would be a really sad place. But in fact, I've never been to a more positive environment. And that's because everybody there is fighting to get, a, get, a, get better. And so we all root for each other as well. And so if you have this small victory, uh, then the other people, the other patients, they would cheer you on and, and you know, congratulate you with this, this milestone you achieved. And um, I, I, I clearly remember uh, the first time I was able to grab uh, an object, my whole family went like went going went mental. You know, everybody like they sent a video of me doing it to everybody. Uh, they were like celebrating, uh, and uh, all my patients, uh, all my you know fellow patients as well. They were all like patting me on the back and and congratulating me. And so that's that's actually one of the strongest um, motivators are these small victories and um, yeah after a couple of weeks I started to you know regain control over some parts of my body and I started getting these little milestones which was great After a month and a half, I was actually invited by the uh, occupational therapist to join uh, the other patients um, to go uh, out. Uh, one of the things they do is they organize these trips to, I don't know the name of the beach anymore, but to a beach uh, in, the vicinity, in the vicinity of uh, Sydney, um, where the, the goal is actually to travel with uh, a lot of different modes of transportation to kind of get the feel of how it would be if, if you would use uh, uh, public transportation at home. And so that was like actually really impressive. At that time, I was still in an electric wheelchair, which are those ones that you can, uh, you can uh, drive with a, just a joystick by moving a joystick. Um, but those are really like big and heavy and, and they're not really flexible. So that actually poses other challenges. But I decided to join on this event and uh, it was actually really impressive how well everything is organized in Australia uh, or especially in Sydney because um, we took the, uh, the metro, we took the train, we took a ferry, we used the bus. Um, and all of these things were, you know, you didn't have to kind of um, order the, the order them in advance, like you have to do in Belgium. For example, in Belgium, if you want to use a train, you actually have to uh, make a reservation and it has to be seven days in advance, or at least it used to be. I think it's 24 hours now, but it doesn't matter. You need to kind of let them know in advance that you're coming. But in Australia, 
that wasn't the case. You could just go up to the, the uh, machine, order a ticket and, you know, just let them know that you're in a wheelchair and boom. I mean, everything was, yeah, adapted to wheelchair users. And so that was a really great day. We ended up going to the beach. Uh, I had my mom and my sister there. And it was, a, it was actually a quite enjoyable um, experience. And it was a bit scary as well. Because, uh, I mean, being out on the street for the first time in a wheelchair, the, in an electric wheelchair, people were staring. So I, I, I did find it kind of difficult um, emotionally, especially because I was driving in the wheelchair uh, around Sydney. Uh, and I was driving at places I had been before without my wheelchair. Those were particularly hard moments for me because uh, then it really soaks in that you're you know, disabled and you're using a wheelchair. But that was a really great experience and that as well gave me a little bit more confidence um, in you know, my ability to go around even, you know, and have a life even with a wheelchair. After two full months at the Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney, I was finally strong enough to go home. So the insurance company provided a ticket and two healthcare professionals, one nurse and one doctor. I always thought that I would be flown back to Belgium in this plane specifically, you know, for people who had accidents and who, had, who need medical attention. But nope, I was completely wrong about that. They just booked me on a commercial flight. Um, and <clears throat> how that works is um, the plane in the plane, they fold a couple of seats. And over those seats, they put this, you know, uh, metallic frame. Uh, I was put on this really, really small um, stretcher and then put on that frame. Um, and so I was actually laying completely flat. Uh, in the plane and you know the journey was more than 24 hours so for more than 24 hours I was unable to get up because I was put on this uh, stretcher now you have to imagine trying to eat drink and swallow medication when you're lying completely flat still having problems swallowing yeah the flat was a total nightmare and to make matters worse I think it was monsoon season or something because more than half of the time uh, we were flying, we had turbulence and not just, you know, the light tremblings, but like really, really, really annoyingly big, scary turbulence. And this also meant that my doctor and my nurse were strapped in most of the time and they weren't able to get to me to give me my medication uh, or other stuff. After this horrendous journey, I finally arrived at the rehab center in Ghent. Uh, it's, that would be building K7 of the University Hospital in Ghent, in Belgium. And that's where I would spend uh, the next 13 months in rehab. Trying to figure out how to live with, you know, being disabled.
I'm sorry, but this is where I leave you. I hope you uh, enjoyed the podcast. If you want to know the full story, keep tuning into these podcasts of uh, the Mike Life Talks. And next time, I'll probably talk about rehab in Belgium and about how and why I uh, started the blog platform. So uh, make sure to tune in next time. Thank you for listening and uh, see you later. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you can rate me, I'd love five stars. Thanks. See you later.